Hi everyone and welcome to this week's episode of the Money Mentors Podcast where we try to improve your financial literacy and knowledge. Um, we're proudly brought to you by Hewlison Private Wealth, one of Australia's leading independent financial planning and wealth management firms. Um, today you're with uh, Glenn Fairburn and Nathan Lear, both directors and advisors at Hewlison Private Wealth. Um, this week we're actually having a discussion with our senior risk advisor, Marcus English about the importance of insurance, what to look for, um, and also the tips and traps. Obviously, this is general advice only, so please seek um, the advice of a specialist. Um, hope you enjoy the podcast. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Money Mentors podcast. Now, in previous episodes, Glenn and I have mentioned the importance of personal insurance cover. Uh, so today, we have our second guest joining us on the podcast, Marcus English, who's the Senior Risk Advisor at, at Hewison Private Wealth. Now, Hewison Private Wealth launched uh, their own insurance offering or our own insurance offering uh, around uh, three or four months ago, I think it was now. Um, so obviously, Marcus will explain this in a little bit more detail, but basically, it is a fee-for-service insurance offering uh, where effectively 90, 90% or around 90% of the industry would charge uh, commission-based insurance advice. So under this offering, we will uh, charge a fee-for-service and, and either rebate or dial back the commission. Uh, so it is a, an innov- innovative or different way of, of charging insurance or, or charging for insurance cover. Um, so I'll hand it over to Marcus now, but just to, to kick it off, um, Marcus, if you could just uh, tell the audience a little bit about your background and why uh, you consider insurance so important and why you've uh, decided to pursue this as your as your career. Sure, and thanks for having me, guys. Um, so I've been in the industry for 14-odd uh, years and um, I, I guess you know the previous roles have gravitated down the insurance path. And, uh, and and providing a lot of advice on wealth protection. So um, <coughs> naturally, I've done further studies in that area through the FPA uh, to become a specialist in the field. And um, so when the opportunity came along to, to join Hewison Private Wealth, it uh, you know it sounded like a great a, a great uh, opportunity to grow this part of the business. So Marcus, just in in your experience dealing with clients over the years. I mean, as Nathan said, we, we've spoken a little bit about insurance on this podcast and, and perhaps the reasons why people don't take out insurance. But from a practical perspective, in, in your experience, why do you think that people either don't feel the need or, or just don't take out sort of personal types of insurance? And, and, and before you jump in there, Marcus, I, I neglected to mention a point that I thought was really, really pertinent um, in my introduction. Um, just from a, a study a couple of years ago that we are looking at, um, around 83% of Australians take out car insurance, um, but only 31% take out uh, income protection insurance. Um, and then just further to that, another, another stat is that 20% of all mortgage defaults, so 20% are due to uh, illness or accident. So it probably, just to set the scene, it, it's probably quite an interesting statistic that, that Glenn and I have spoken about previously that a lot of people are willing to insure a maybe a, a much uh, less expensive car compared to your, your earning capacity. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's pretty remarkable when you see those stats. Um, I mean, 
I guess part of that is, is probably lack of education and, and people understanding what it's really about. But, you know, I, I think back to Glenn's question, um, you know, there's, there's quite a few quite a few reasons why, uh, you know, I think people don't take out cover. Um, you know, things such as affordability, um, you know, budgets might be tighter, so it's not prioritised as much. Um, there's the whole fit and healthy argument, you know, that people... Um, don't need it because nothing is going to happen to them. But of course, you know, in, in reality, being fit and healthy often doesn't change a thing. Uh, you know, accidents happen. Um, do you think that's an Australian, you know, the, the should be right mentality, or do you think yeah. that's, uh, you know, just a global thing, or just <coughs> kind of more of an Australian thing? Oh, look, yeah, yeah. I mean, Australians definitely do have that mentality for sure. Um, so, and you know, realistically, when you're fit and healthy, is the time to get the cover. You know, because you're going to, you know, your medical underwriting side of things, you're going to um, get, well, firstly accepted and, and while you're young, you've got the ability to do things such as locking in level premiums so that's not going to necessarily cost a fortune down the track. Um, so it's it's certainly not a reason to avoid uh, getting insurance. And that's a, that's a really good point, isn't it? Because a lot of younger people, even even that I've spoken to, have said, oh, look, I don't... I don't have any debts. I don't have any dependents. So, mm. look, if some, if I can't work, I don't really have those obligations. So, I think it, yeah. it is, as you were saying. I mean, as a young person, one of the key things is that get the insurance while you are healthy. Exactly. And when you don't yeah. have things like loadings and, and so forth. Yeah, and and to your point, I mean, I quite often hear things like, you know, I don't have kids yet. You know, I'll get insurance once I've got kids. But, you know, for something like insuring your income. Well, you're going to need your income regardless if you've got kids or not. So it's you know it's worth considering much earlier. Um, attitude is probably up there. You know, some people simply don't believe in insurance um, and how it can help you, or, or just you know don't understand it that well. Uh, people may you know they may have a misconception around the insurance companies, or I think you know research has shown that quite a high percentage, you know, sort of above half of people. Uh, uh, I guess, um, uh, you know, worried that the insurance companies will actually pay out. Um, so, you know, I think it's really all about educating the consumer so that um, they know what they're getting into. And, and I suppose just, just with regards to um, the insurance, you sort of touched on a few different types of insurance, but I mean, j- just to elaborate a little bit further, when we're looking at personal types of insurance, so protecting... <coughs> your income or, or your ability to earn income going forward, mm. what would be some of the ones that I suppose are most important for people? Yeah, so uh, um, so the various types of, of insurance, I mean, what we're dealing with really when we're talking about personal cover, there's four different types of benefits. So we've got life insurance. It's obviously protect, protecting against um, death or, or terminal illness. Um, now, in that circumstance, uh, we, you know, we need to consider... Um, who's surviving you so you know um, you might need to provide for debt future income needs you know perhaps supporting with kids education costs Um, so really thinking about who you're leaving behind and how they may be affected by your death Um, and you know a lot of people avoid thinking of their own mortality so it's something that often isn't considered but but certainly important um, especially if you know in families where only one, or, you know, one of the parents is working. Um, uh, secondly, we've got income protection. So we, you know, we touched on that briefly. You know, we're talking about insuring 
essentially your greatest asset, which is your ability to work and earn, and earn an income. Um, you know, you guys obviously helping people reach their long-term goals, accumulating wealth and so forth. Without the income, you know, you risk losing all of that. Um, that's probably even just as important. I mean, there's probably a lot of people out there that have investment properties and, and, and things like that. And I suppose with income protection, you can think about the worst case scenario where maybe you can't work indefinitely, but it might even be a situation where you suffer a health condition and you can't work for two years yep. and you've, you've borrowed money to buy an investment property. Um, and for whatever, you know, obviously having less income, you can't meet the loan repayments and then you're forced into a really bad position. So it's, I think you're right. It's not just looking at, you know, the longer term implications of not being able to work. It's even just those short term implications that can put you in a re- really bad position. Absolutely. Um, so thirdly, we've got uh, total and permanent disability insurance, so TPD often referred to, um, and that's, you know, providing in the event of a permanent disability. So, um, you know, I guess that could be looked at in a number of ways. So potentially supplementing income, supplementing the income protection, which, you know, only covers three quarters of your salary um so you know you may consider a lump sum to to kick in and 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 supplement that um protecting against levels of debt and and uh, and i mean what a lot of people don't consider is that it's it's probably a more expensive outcome than if a loved one passes away because the individual's still alive but potentially living costs of you know, gone up because yeah, care and things like that. I mean, yeah. obviously, if, if if you're dead, there's no ongoing costs with you know perhaps making changes to your home or or, or whatever. But as yeah. you're saying, if you if you're disabled, the cost can be a lot higher. Yeah, exactly right. And um and so the fourth type of insurance we deal with is is trauma insurance or or often uh, referred to as critical illness insurance. So you know that's providing a lump sum in the event that you have diagnosed with uh, a critical illness or, or a trauma event. You know, you, you, your main three that are claimed on are the likes of cancer, uh, heart attack and stroke. And really, you know, you, uh, in most cases, I'd suggest you, you're providing for medical costs and, and, and those that go above and beyond what, what your private health insurance might cover. So how... How do you? Uh, I, I guess we've spoken a little bit about why people don't don't take out insurance. Um, what what advice would you give to people in terms of like doing doing something? Like, w- would there be any any advice you'd offer in terms of just taking taking action? Is it just as simple as going to seek seek advice from a professional? Or yeah, look, I think getting advice in this area is you know it's it's pretty important. It's it's a complex. Um, it's a complex thing to try to do on your own. Um, unfortunately, not all policies are the same. So, you know, there, there are significant differences in quality, um, you know, the benefits and features. So I think that getting the right advice in the first place, you know, is pretty vital. Um, aside from that, you know, uh, knowing knowing when your cover needs altering or when you've got, you know, capacity to pot- potentially reduce benefits or when you may need to take on you know higher levels of cover uh you know having somebody that's that's sort of taking you through that process and helping you identify what the risks are what what your financial exposures are you know the, the benefits of seeking advice are uh, you know they're, they're vital i would suggest and just on that with with, with relation to quantifying it mm. uh, i suppose it's fair to say that i think a lot of people now would have 
some form of insurance, maybe within their super fund, like some mm. default, whether it's life or permanent disability <coughs> cover. Um, well, firstly, is it first is it fair to say that most people are underinsured? Um, and secondly, how do you quantify how much insurance you might need? Yeah. So, uh, I mean, a, a stat a stat that I did see is that um, you know seven million working Australians wouldn't wouldn't necessarily have any form of life insurance if they didn't have the default cover through their through their super fund. So, you know, a lot of people out there do rely on the, the automatic cover they get through the super fund. And how much and is that? Like normally, how much would it be? It probably varies depending on funds. But what, what would it normally be? Look, they're usually pretty basic levels of cover. They're, they might be based on a unit, um, uh, which may, might be like an age-based scale. So generally speaking, it'll get lower and lower as you become older. Uh, some are based on formulas, so a percentage of your salary multiplied by years to 65 as an example. So again, it's a reducing, it's a reducing cover formula. So you know, generally speaking, um, <coughs> it's, good that, it's good that these super funds do provide those type of benefits, but realistically, it's always, you know, it, it, it's, a, it's a foundation to then, you know, uh, look at what you need on top of because, you know, in most situations, it's never going to be enough. Which is just exactly what I was going to make the point, Marcus, and ask your opinion. I come across a lot of people in my in my role advising clients where they if insurance comes up they're like oh yeah I've got I've got insurance in my in my super fund, um, but I find that most of the time it is nowhere near they possibly have just that default level of cover, let's say quite quite often I think it's around that hundred thousand dollar mark perhaps and I don't know in some cases they might need 10, 20 times that level of cover so usually it's nowhere near enough. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, if if you consider uh, what you know say like a, a 25 or 35 year old the, the amount of the amount of work they've got ahead of them and you know if they provide for a family and you know they potentially leave that family alone without an income you know the 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 shortfall or, or financial exposure to that family you know is, is millions so um 100,000 or 200,000 it just doesn't cut it just aside from the I suppose being underinsured, um, obviously one of the advantages for a lot of people for having the insurance within super is they feel like it's not costing them anything from their personal cash flow. Um, but aside from, I suppose, the risk of being underinsured, what are some of the other issues to be aware of by having, well, um, not necessarily life insurance because I suppose that's pretty, there's no gray area with, with life insurance, but in particular permanent disability insurance and income protection within superannuation. What are, what are the real dangers of people focusing too heavily of having superannuation, you know, their insurance within superannuation? Yeah, so, uh, and like you say, I mean, spot on, you know, the, the cover through super is not a cash flow burden. So that, that definitely is an attractive option for many. Um, and, you know, there, there are some traps to look out for um, because generally speaking, putting insurance through super can be a little bit restrictive due to legislation. Um, I mean, there are there are ways around that, but you know, just uh, you, you mentioned the TPD cover. You know, the def- definitions of of um, total uh, and permanent disablement they have they have to meet a condition of release, and so g- generally speaking, that's going to be any occupation, and so it's quite a broad definition. Whereas when you're working outside of the super environment, you can look at 
at policies that are that are uh, based on your specific role as an you know an own occupation definition. So, so, that, so with just with the, the total disability cover in super, that any occupation. So does that basically mean that in order for you to be able to receive that insurance payout, you effectively have to be disabled to the extent that you can't do any job. So any any job that you're you know that you're reasonably suited to based on your, your education, experience, and qualifications, and so forth. Um, so it certainly is broad. I mean, think in in the medical space, for instance, a, a surgeon may may no longer be able to you know perform surgery, but could still work as a GP. So they're the uh, I, I guess they're they're where some of the risks lie. And the own occupation one, just just to clarify that. So under an own occupation, is, is that obviously a superior product that if you can't do the job that you're doing right now, that's where it would pay out and that's arguably the insurance that you want? Yeah, yeah that's right. So own occupation is specific to your role, the occupation that you're performing at the time of application. And, um, and so that doesn't meet superannuation rules and legislation. So um, that will generally sit outside of super. And look, there are there are ways around structuring that with split policies, so you can get, I guess, the best of both worlds, where most of the premium is funded through a super fund, and you pay a little bit personally. Um, but you know, if you if you're trying to achieve that on your own, you'd probably you'd probably not be aware to do those sorts of things. Um, similar with the income protection, you know. Outside of the super environment, generally speaking, you, you're getting a much better quality policy, uh, more so with retail providers. And um, and again, a lot of the benefits and features that those offer, you know, they don't meet. You wouldn't be entitled to receive them if if 100% of the policy was owned through a super fund. So again, where these split policies are available, we can have part of it just sitting outside the super fund. So. Uh, there are an, it's an effective way to, to do things um, and uh, you know it still gives people the option to pay for most of it through super um, tax consequences need to be considered so you know individual circumstances are important um, depending on who the beneficiaries are what the purpose is I mean for instance a, a business insurance such as like a key person or, or a buy sell type policy I mean obviously if you've you know, as an example, had a self-managed super fund owning one of those, you're likely to be in breach of the sole purpose test. So uh, it's not always going to be the right thing to do. Um, it's just a matter of, of, you know, assessing the, the person's um, circumstances. Um, Marcus, you mentioned income protection insurance um, and some of the issues potentially in having it with inside superannuation. Um, one of the things that I've noticed quite a bit is the, the benefit period only being only been two years in, within superannuation. Um, and I think, once again, a lot of people actually aren't, aren't aware of that. Is that something that you caution people just to be aware of the, the benefit period? Yep, ab- absolutely right. And and that's, uh, that's a, a pretty standard characteristic of the automatic cover that, that people are likely to get. And But, you know, quite often if somebody's been on claim for two years, there's, there's a very high chance that they're going to end up being on claim for much longer. So... You know, if you consider, uh, you know, let's say a 40-year-old, so worst case scenario, they're getting paid till age 42. Well, you know, between 42 and, and retirement age, you've got 18, 18 years of, of shortfall still. So extending that policy beyond two years 
to make sure that you're, you're covering your whole working life is, is really important. And there's ways that a good insurance advisor can structure these arrangements, isn't there, where they might, if that, if that policy within the superannuation fund is still of good quality, they might keep that and then set up a second policy outside of superannuation that has a um, that, that kicks in after after two years, which can keep the premiums down. There's things you can yeah. do to be creative and help try to keep the cost down. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So you could you could take a second policy with a two year waiting period, and so between the two policies, you know, you know uh, you're effectively ensuring that you've you've got the your, your whole working life covered, and and they complement each other. There's no overlap. So, I mean, I guess the the first thing is ensuring that um, that the, the the initial two year policy. Uh, is of is of decent quality and and you know you're, you're happy with it. Um, some people, uh, you know, due to due to medical reasons, they may find it hard to to get uh, to get insurance. So, you know, they may not have a choice but to utilise what they've received automatically. And just one point, uh, another stat we saw earlier, which I thought I'd point out, given we're talking about insurance, is that uh, four out of ten people aren't aware that they can actually change their level of cover in, in super. So people probably just aren't thinking about insurance and super. Yeah, look, I, I'd agree with that. Um, oh, to, look, to some people, uh, it's just not a consideration in the first place that they need more cover. Um, uh, you know, going going to the hassle of doing it, I, I mean, if, if anyone's gone through an insurance application before, you know that they're fairly thorough and, and some might get... Some, you know, if you, you might ring up your super provider and say, look, I want to increase my cover, they may just email you the application form to increase it. You know, you take one look and think, yeah, no, I'll, I'll do that sometime down the, you know, down the track. I think it's definitely one of those situations where you can't really be selfish, can you? I mean, it's, it, it's like a financial plan or setting in place a budget. Yeah, it's time consuming and it's, it's a bit annoying, but I think the best thing to do is perhaps not think about how you're going to be inconvenienced going through underwriting and blood tests and things like that but but thinking about those who may be left behind or impacted when you don't have insurance yep that's that's exactly right and and uh, i mean quite often with these these events that that will trigger insurance you know the 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 emotional burden and the stress of going through these things can be so immense if you um you know if you add financial impacts to the equation uh, you know it, it, it can be an awful awful time to go through so via via a, you know an insurance policy if we can take the financial burden away altogether you know it dramatically improves the situation is that where the trauma cover really comes into play in that sort of situation where say for example you've got a mortgage you suffered a medical condition i suppose talking to clients about trauma they're like, they, they feel a, li- a little bit I suppose uncomfortable taking it out because it's almost like getting a lump sum, you know, gain. But if you suffer a medical condition, but I think what you said um, really explains that well. In that, quite often it's you know the the shock and the emotional um, anguish for having to deal with a condition, and then you've got to deal with perhaps meeting mortgage repayments or bills, school yeah. fees, other bills and things like that. Um, we've spoken about, I suppose, um, situations where you might need to increase insurance, but I suppose that's also um, stresses the importance of reviewing because there may be an opportunity over time to reduce your insurance as well and therefore reduce the cost. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I mean, there's uh, there are a couple of the, the insurances. So, you know, I, I guess the life insurance and, and TPD as an example, you know, it's, it's, it's fair to expect those needs to reduce over time because the things that we're looking to cover 
you know, whether it's a debt or or providing an, an ongoing income support or, or education costs. I mean, if you think about over time, the level of your mortgage might be reducing or your kids are getting older, you're nearing retirement, you, you're accumulating assets yourself. I mean, as you're building or as you're building wealth, you don't necessarily need that insurance anymore. So I would expect that over time, you'd be adjusting and, and reducing your cover as as the uh, as the risks diminish um, because I mean let's face it at the end of the day we I mean nobody really likes paying for insurance and we hope that we don't need to use it so it should be about you know uh, without sacrificing on quality paying as little as we can for a shorter period of time as we can I've definitely found in my experience that a lot of people that do take out that cover they they don't they don't review it and, and that's potentially one of the advantages of working with an, an insurance advisor where you know, every, every year or so when the, the policy renewal comes up, I guess a proactive advisor would be on the phone to them or, or getting them in for a meeting and, and, and asking questions about their situation. And if there is an opportunity to reduce that cover, um, you'd hope that, that that good advice would be given. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, you know, I, I guess that's where uh, some bias can come into a commission-based structure um, because I guess at the end of the day, uh, you know, it's 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 probably in, in their best interest to keep premiums higher because they're earning more. But, I mean, look, just on that, there you know, there are plenty of advisors out there who do a great job and, and operate and do operate ethically while receiving commissions. But, you know, un- unfortunately, it... It creates a situation where there there are still those that can abuse the situation. So you kind of led into the next thing we're going to ask about uh, fee for service versus commission. You've you've said a couple of things then, and obviously uh, Hewson Private Wealth we've uh, we've adopted a, a fee for service model. Um, just if you'd like to maybe spend a minute or two talking through that and expanding further on some of the benefits that 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 might add for the for the end client. Certainly, yeah. So. Uh, yeah, so I mean, a couple of things. Um, I guess fee for service removes those risks I mentioned before. So, where there can be bias, or you know, um, it it might be in the advisor's best interest to keep those premiums higher. Um, obviously, fee for service that's not an issue. So, um, it's a transparent situation. The client knows what they're paying and what they what they're getting for their fees. Um, and uh, you know the other advantage is that it can represent a big discount on premiums. You know if you if you're either rebating commission or, or taking it out of the policy altogether where possible, you know we're talking premium discounts of 25 to 30 percent, which over time um, has can have a massive impact. Well, look, thanks for those insights, Marcus. I think it's really just given people um, a, a lot of food for thought. I suppose with Firstly, just the importance of prioritising insurance, looking at your situation and, and looking at the potential risks of you either being un- unable to work due to um, temporary or permanent disability and obviously worst case scenario death, thinking about those that, that you're left behind, um, looking for the different sort of tips and traps by having insurance within with inside and also outside of superannuation um, and, and also, as, as you were saying there, um, just looking at, I suppose, looking... At, at appointing an advisor to help you work through the various types of insurances that you need, how much, and also the types of products. Um, obviously, as, as you and Nathan were saying, we're at Hewison Private Wealth very um, vocal about our 
um, preference to provide fee for service. That doesn't mean that the commission-based system doesn't work or, as you were saying, is unethical, but we, we've gone down a certain path that we think gives our clients um, great value. So once again, thanks for joining us this week, Marcus. Um, and to all our listeners, we look forward to speaking to you all next week. Pleasure. Thanks, guys. Thanks again, everyone, for listening to this week's episode of, of the podcast. Uh, please, once again, check out Hewson Private Wealth on our website, which is www.hewson.com.au. You can also find us via the various social media platforms, so Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Um, please also subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on iTunes or your favorite app, um, and, and always feel free to leave that feedback. So once again, thanks for listening. Um, and we'll chat to you again next week.